0: Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 237, author and Deputy Lord Mayor of Sydney, Jess Scully, discusses the need for active citizenship and the responsibility we all share for taking action to be part of global solutions. Jess provides tips on how to be a proactive voice for the positive change you want to see and how to navigate these conversations with respect and empathy. This is Jess's version of Be the Drop, which was recorded live at Adelaide Writers Week. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. Jess, thank you so much for joining me here in this beautiful setting at the Adelaide Writers Week.
1: Thank you, Amelia. I've been here every day for the past uh, two days and it's just another world, really. You discover new things, you see the same faces popping up, so you start to make friendships with people. It's it's a delightful experience. And I think the wonderful thing about a Writers' Festival is that yes, we dive into the kind of hard social stuff, but we also talk about emotions and feeling and and connection. And I, I see events like this one as sort of a coming together of both sides of the brain.
0: Mm, beautiful and and such a critical part of how we can then work together to solve problems, which is very much what you're looking at in your book. And I'll make sure I read the title properly. In glimpses of utopia. So you're looking at, in a way, there's a lot of there's a lot of layers in here. But tell us about why it is to you that it's so important that we really tap into this power of the people.
1: Oh, there's so much there, but I, I think. The key thing is it's too privileged and too entitled to give up hope because, you know, we're facing a lot of challenges. I think inequality, uh, rising inequality and uh, climate change are the two big challenges of our time. And we can just say, look, they're insurmountable. What can we do? And just kind of give up hope and you can shut off from the world. But Actually, we all, I think, have a responsibility to stay hopeful and take action and to be a part of the solution. I think the thing that will solve our problems is human effort, connection, focus, and and the human act of caring for each other and the planet, and and the human urge to create and invent and innovate. Those are the things that are going to save us.
0: And you're looking at this on many layers, so from childcare to politics, you know, how do we step up? responsibility I think that's great I love the call to action yeah oh now what (laughs) (laughs) I know right everyone keeps
1: (laughs) asking me that um no it's it's really hard the thing that I'm talking about a lot at the moment is active citizenship And so what that means is being a proactive voice for the positive change you want to see in the world. You know, I am in in an elected position and so I hear a lot from people in the community, but I tend to hear from the same people. I tend to hear from people who are older, richer and whiter than their neighbours. They're people who know how the system works and, and they're used to having their voices heard. But there are a lot of people who we never hear from and quite often that's because they're busy running a business or they're busy raising a family or they might not have English as a first language or they might be people who who aren't owner-occupiers. They might be tenants, for example, and might not think that the levels of government are there to support their needs as residents or as citizens. Or they might be people who don't have the, the ability to vote, for example. You know, they might not be citizens. But what we can do, it in active citizenship is to have our voices heard even if we don't have access to those traditional pathways to, to power and democracy. And that's by being an active supporter of positive changes and actually calling for positive changes. So here's what I mean. We all, I think, you know, 85% of Australians support action on climate change. But when that comes down to local action on your street, we often see a lot of opposition because the tangible aspects of, of climate are things like cycleways and replacing car spaces with rain gardens or tree planting or it might be um, making it more expensive to drive into the centre of your city for example and we quite often experience a lot of resistance to those kinds of changes so what I would like people to do is to think how can I be a vocal voice in support of those kinds of changes whether they're environmental or social changes that are going to bring on that fairer more sustainable future because we always hear from the people who are against change and we never really hear from people who are
0: in support of
1: change mm.
0: and it's interesting what you're talking about is that the grassroots it's often called the grassroots style so starting really locally and we instead of the other way around is that where you think the power lies i think that
1: we have to do everything so i think you you do need to advocate for, for big change at a federal level and a state level and globally but locally is where you see a lot of this stuff implemented in a really concrete way and we rarely hear from those voices that I call yimby's you know yes in my backyard because we sometimes hear about nimbys people who say no not in my backyard or I love the idea of affordable housing just not in my street or in my suburb we want to hear from people who say yes do this here we're in support of these moves here
0: and I think with some of those, though, so for education, for example, you know, I have a concern that, and there's lots of data that talks about creativity amongst children, and then we basically through our education system, make ourselves less creative. As a human, I find that concerning because creativity helps us in problem solving on all layers. But then I go, oh, How do you change the education system? I don't think that means we shouldn't. No. But I do recognise the overwhelm.
1: The hard part is knowing where to start. Right, and, and what's gonna have positive impact and who, who to influence is the other huge question. And so what I always suggest is, um, look for examples where there have been moves towards the kinds of change that you want, ideally kind of within the jurisdiction that you're in. So you can write to the Minister for Education, for example, in, in this instance, or there are some other people that we can talk about that you could write to and say, I really appreciate what you've done in funding XYZ or implementing this policy or that policy. But wouldn't it be great if we could take it further? And how can we support you to expand this? Because I think when I when I think empathetically about those people who have have stood up for leadership positions, because it's a pretty hard slog, and it's like I wouldn't want to do some of those jobs. They often. You don't see the struggles that they've had and the battles they fought to get the sort of incremental change that they've already made. So recognizing that in them and saying, thank you for what you've done. And I I recognize that you've made efforts in this regard, but it would be fantastic to see, you know, example. Give them an example of a tangible outcome you want, because something like saying creativity in education is so vague. Mm. But if you can specifically say the El Sistema model of um, teaching every child and uh, to play a musical instrument has done miraculous things in Colombia, and I would love to see that implemented in every school in South Australia. And this is these are the organisations who you know are doing work on that front that is a tangible policy proposal that's something that someone can look
0: into and come back to you on and so it's more actionable. I I loved that answer you were really breaking down the overwhelm how do you come about that like when you answered that question it was so reasonable and I was like yeah oh that completely makes sense but I don't know that I always bring that tool set with me so what are some of the key skills that you think really help us answer our own questions in the way that you just did them.
1: For me, this is the biggest struggle that I face personally. For, for me, the, the biggest challenge and the thing I'm working on the most is seeing the humanity of people who I have disagreements with on a values basis because I sometimes struggle to think well how could you possibly hold that point of view or that set of beliefs about you know refugees or climate policy or whatever it is when it's so wrong you know whoa I actually need to recognize that people have arrived at a position because of their their set of beliefs or their life journey and they have very good reasons often for holding those positions or maybe they haven't had access to a lived experience or all the information and that's why they hold that view and I can't change their mind by telling them that they're wrong I've tried <laughs> it doesn't work so how can I engage in a conversation where I'm going to learn something from that person And how can I also recognise that everybody is fighting battles battles that we don't know about, you know? Um, But to answer your question about, you know, how do we make things more tangible and actionable, I kind of think, think about, well, what's the outcome of this letter or this meeting? What would make this a successful interaction or what would make me feel like we had achieved something from, you know, this conversation I'm having with you, the Minister for Education or whatever it is. Assuming that everybody in this conversation wants a positive outcome is a really good way to approach it. And how can I help you have a win? How can we both get what we want out of this experience? And for you to have a win, I have to give you something really clear that you can act on or that you can seek information on or come back to me on. Um, And I need to be able to give you all the information that I have that's relevant so that you can take action so I think understanding the outcome you want uh, figuring out what the the achievable goal is and then providing all the contacts on the context that can help to get towards that solution and I think assuming the best of everyone and assuming that the person you're talking to also wants to achieve a really positive outcome that that takes you
0: a long way there Oh, and the other thing as you're talking is using inclusive language. How can we, you know, what can we both, how do we work together? What is something that you win and I win and we both win? Like your natural language is very inclusive.
1: Oh, thank you. I mean, I think it's taken me time to get that. And because I've done it badly many times and I think I've come out of a lot of meetings going, oh, why did I do that? And I think sometimes we live in this quite disembodied way where we're just venting about things that we're frustrated about but we might not necessarily believe that we can achieve an outcome and so the step beyond venting is proposing a solution and then helping the other parties to to figure out a pathway to get there and how we we do that together and I think here's the other thing and that I've that I've always really thought is important is recognizing how valuable everybody's time is and if somebody is giving you the time of reading the letter or sitting with you in a meeting they're invested they've invested that time and so how can you help them feel like that was a worthwhile encounter or experience as well
0: Mm. such good advice. I'm like, yes, we should all do that. And your mindset and approach is is fabulous. So then with you and and linking back to your book, for you, what have been your best glimpses into Utopia? Oh, there's so many,
1: you know, like the book is full of examples from all over the world of people and communities and organizations who are showing alternatives to the way we do things i think the thing that's been most clarifying for me is realizing that the way things are right here right now it's never always been like this and it isn't like this everywhere right now, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Essentially, anything can change, but we quite often are starved of the imagination to know that there are alternatives. And so what I wanted to offer was a sort of a menu of alternatives to some of the ways that we do things in politics, economics, finance, city making, care, you know, a whole bunch of different areas and say, look at all these options that we're, we're not even choosing from. We've got a degustation menu and we're eating from the vending machine. Like, why are we doing this? So, of the examples in the book, there are so many, but some of the ones around... How we can rethink the way that we use money, I think, are really fundamental. You know, there are there are some community currencies, local currencies that you know a group of friends in Sardinia created this this currency for their their island, um, which is an island of, of 1.5 million people. And now, in the last 10 years, they've transacted over 400 million euros worth of transactions without euros but using sardex their currency that they invented that basically allowed this island to trade cashlessly between different businesses so they were businesses were able to have cash flow even when they didn't have cash flow and it stimulated trade and personal connections and employment and all kinds of positive outcomes on this island you know that's a solution that was created for that place but could be replicated or adopted elsewhere in the world so that's a really exciting one for me there's a really uh, fascinating organization called the aboriginal carbon fund which operates in the north of australia which works with traditional owners and uses their traditional approaches of and of caring for country to to empower traditional owners to do the land management practices and a lot of it is around cultural burning but they also know the language of carbon credits and they take the money from carbon trading and bring it to fund this, this very um, ancient traditional practice. So they managed to walk in, in both worlds and make that work because, you know, it's something like 4% of Australia's greenhouse gas emissions come from uncontrolled savannah burning and that just just fire, bushfires basically in summer because of traditional land management practices not being carried out. So the examples like that where you go, we already have a world of solutions. We're just not um, highlighting them, funding them correctly, supporting them, or we're just not aware that they exist.
0: And I think the timing of your messages and what you're talking about is so pertinent, so relevant, so now, you know, the the time for finding hope, the time for finding solutions is now. And quite often change comes about from disruption. And obviously COVID-19 has been a massive disruption. I think people are a little bit more open and my, my hope is that we don't then go back to complacency. We go, this, time is now. Do something now, you know. Have you got that sense of feeling of of time? I do, I do. And I have a
1: a real sense of urgency.
0: And, you know, I
1: think sometimes we, you know, I I can feel despondent because, you know, we had the, the... immediate aftermath of the crisis and we saw the government put together this think tank to come up with solutions and the surprise surprise solutions they came up with was let's fund more fossil fuels and you know it's such short term narrow thinking it's in thinking that supports you know a dying industry that's killing us and that is running itself into the ground you know and and the free market wouldn't invest in it so why should we basically and so a lot of people think oh well that's it we've lost our opportunity they flushed all of our billions down that but i know that this crisis that those solutions won't solve this crisis because they aren't good solutions and we're going to have to come back to this and this is a long crisis so we're going to need to have many goes at trying to build solutions. So what we all need to do I think as active citizens is inform ourselves of alternatives, tell our friends and neighbours that actually there's many different ways of doing these things and that spending money on the stuff that support, that makes happier, healthier, more connected and creative humans is actually the stuff that will solve the climate crisis, is actually the stuff that will help fund the recovery we need and the future economy we need. It sounds fantastic, but it's true. You know, actually, if we invested And there's some research in the book from the Women's Budget Group, which is a UK and and England and Scotland based organisation, but they've done research all over the world. And they found that, you know, for every dollar that would be invested in the care economy versus the hard hat construction economy, which is what governments tend to invest in after a crisis, for every dollar you'd spend in care, you'd get twice as many jobs and you'd get this unlocking of potential because you'd have more women being able to go back into the workforce, you'd have a more educated population, a healthier population. So we've got a set of solutions. We know where the money is going to be best spent, but we've got to just tell everybody that that's what's happening and we've got to demand it
0: gently, proactively, and with empathy of the people who we elect to represent us. Oh, fantastic. I think that is a perfect place to end, Jess, a call to arms for all of us to be active citizens. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop.